0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Pop Anime Comics Lounge where I have with me one of the most recognizable cover artists out there currently, and that is Eric Basalua, or Ebas for short, and he has worked for Top Cow, Xenoscope, Marvel, and DC, to name a few, so thank you for being on the podcast.
1: Hey, it's my pleasure, it's good to be back. I haven't done one of these in years, so it's good to be back. Wonderful. No
0: pressure on me. And just so everybody knows, the reason why I am super excited is because Ebass's covers are what actually caught my attention to Zenscope. And so I am super excited to be talking to you. And before we dive into some of these covers, I really am curious because you've been drawing comics for a long time now. How did you Mm -hmm. initially get into comics?
1: Oh, man. I'm very, very, very lucky. I'm extremely fortunate and very blessed. I'm actually second generation comics. I was born into it. My dad was into comics. He was buying X-Men and Avengers when they were 15 cents each. He went to the original newsstands where they used to spin on the racks. And he'd buy them for fifteen cents, and he got into them from his older brother, my uncle, who actually his son gets into comics as well. Like he grades and buys and sells and trades, he even buys my own work because of his dad. You know, his dad's collection was legendary in my family because he kept them all in great condition. He has X Men number one, Fantastic Four number one, all the original Marvel issues when they first came out. And my dad and his older brother were buying comics. They would tell me stories about hopping on their bikes and riding all the way down to the local corner store and buying comics. And they were always laying around everywhere. My dad used to draw the pictures, of old Jack Kirby art. So I was kind of born into it. I'm very, very lucky. There was art and comics everywhere. And I just picked it up and kind of came natural to me. So I want to say it's in the blood, it's in the family. I come from old school Marvel. Yeah, and to talk about yeah. it. Because
0: old school Marvel had amazing artwork. And so what was that like picking that up and really copying, drawing that at a very young age and really learning from arguably the best cover artists and artists out there?
1: Yeah, you know what? My dad was a big fan of John Buscema as well and I want to say he's probably my favorite of all the Golden Age guys. Obviously Jack Kirby, but you can't put him in a category because <laughs> he's the king. But my dad used to draw and copy like legendary Buscema covers where a Giant Man is standing over Thor and Captain America and the Wasp is like flying around and Hawkeye is there and he would do it on these big giant pieces of paper and his art really caught my eye and I just fell in love with how well he was able to move a figure and so being inspired by my dad I kind of copied his art and he copied John Buscema and Jack Kirby and I just fell instantly in love with the dynamics of the way a human being can be drawn and I started drawing myself when I was eight years old when I was eight I decided I'm going to draw comics for the rest of my life and I did nothing but draw I stayed up late nights I gave myself deadlines my mom was wise enough to keep all the art so I have a briefcase full of drawings from when I was eight nine ten Years old, and you can see the progression. And around 12, I discovered Jim Lee, his X-Men stuff, and his Stormwatch stuff and Wildcat stuff, and realized it was the same guy. And I discovered him at 12. And from 12 years old, that's when like my art really jumped at level because I was studying much more modern guys with all the detail and the cross hatching and things like that. And at 12, I decided for sure this is going to be my career. At eight, I was just like, I definitely want to draw comics, but when I was 12, it was definitely some. Like, now I'm serious. You know, I took my deadline serious, my reference material seriously, I had my library of reference. And I have all of it. One day when I'm like uber famous, I'm going to be able to show my progression from eight years old all the way to today. And so you're
0: 12. And what other influences were really developing your art from the ages of 12 before you came into Top Cow? when you were, I think, 18 or 19.
1: My portfolio was first looked at when I was about 17, and they wanted to hire me right then and there, but I actually showed Rob with my stuff when I was 15, and he really liked my stuff, and I was too young. They're like, hey, when you get a little bit older, and finally when I turned 18, Top Cow saw myself as well as Wildstorm, and Top Cow liked my work more, and that was pretty much all she wrote. But I've been practicing for that particular day at San Diego Comic-Con since I was eight. So what is um, that
0: like to show Rob Liefeld your work and then Top Cal likes your work and to have it happen so young? Because not every artist gets that privilege and that not privilege. everybody is talented like you.
1: You don't know how grateful I am just in life because not only was I blessed at a young age to be exposed to it and I started real young. I happened to have been born in Southern California where I could literally drive down to Rob Liefeld's studio. I've been in the studio and I took a tour of their Anaheim location and I went to Top Cal and I was able to drive into work. They're like, hey, yeah, come work for us. And I was very, very fortunate. If I didn't live in Southern California, I would have never been able to do it. I was so lucky. i feel very blessed to have started so young. I got exposed to really good art at a really young age and I try not to take advantage of it because I went to San Diego Comic Cons not to take it for granted. I was a fan. I stood in these long lines for Michael Turner, even Andy Park. And I know what it's like because I met several of these celebrities in the comic world and some guys are really nice and some guys are not nice. And you remember the feeling of walking away. It's like, oh man, like he's exactly what I imagined or like, wow, he was a bit of a douche. Like you remember the feeling and i wanted to make sure that as a fan has waited hours and hours and hours and trying to get autographs and sketches i remember the feeling as the fan like make sure you make all of them walk away happy feeling good and i'm very blessed coming from a young age
0: and one of the yeah. nicest people to talk about was that top cow was mark silvestri who was your boss yeah and yeah. really cool guy. I've heard so Very many cool amazing guy. stories about him, but what was it like to work with him and what did he teach you?
1: I can talk about that for days because I worked there for 10 years in house. I've actually slept on his couch one time and I've used his like shower and bathroom. Like he's such a nice guy. He was just like, yeah, man, come hang out go we'll kick it. Like you don't expect him to be such a nice guy. You know, we've gotten drive through together and he's gotten like the whole crew donuts and Subway. He's such a down-to-earth guy. As a human being, as a person, as a mentor, that's like a whole nother level. Like what he was able to combine in being a sensei was kindness and like encouragement and motivation. I've seen other guys give critiques. I'm not going to mention names, but they weren't even critiquing my work. And I see them critiquing other people. And they were kind of like soul crushing because they think that honesty is a good way to teach. And I never thought that they were good at getting results. But Mark Silvestri, his record shows... He's just the best teacher. He's mentored Dave Finch, Joe Benitez, Michael Turner, myself. There are just so many people under his name that he has credit for mentoring. And the reason why is because in my experience, the way I saw him teach, by the time you were done with his critique versus someone else, that like you walked away from Mark Savetri feeling good. You feel motivated. Like, oh man, next time I'm gonna make it so good and I'm gonna kick so much ass and he's gonna like it. Like he always encouraged your talent, no matter how how good you were. I've seen him critique guys off the street and showing a portfolio for the first time and they were not good. You know, they didn't really have a future and I know Mark saw it as well, but he never ripped you a new one. he was just always encouraging. So being there for a decade, I learned so much like how to be a good person, how to critique other people's work. And I always use the Mark Silvestri approach to make sure that they're encouraged when they walk away. Ripping them a new one may work at universities and colleges and Ivy League situations, but like in art, it's supposed to inspire you want to inspire so Sylvester was just a privilege to even be around you know he was a nice guy he would almost always buy us all dinner like we'd be in the bullpen all working sometimes there's like 10 of us in there and you know we take a break and he just like hey you know let's get some pizza let's get some donuts some coffee and he would just hand us cash and we would go like little minions and then get it all and bring it back and just hang out we would just all eat and talk and there was pool tables at top cow we had xboxes we'd play halo for hours We'd play foosball. It was just a tremendous experience for myself. And again, I was lucky enough to be born here in SoCal, and be able to drive to the offices and witness all that. I can go on and on. And if you ask about Mark Svesher, there's nothing but amazing things to say. I haven't even talked about his actual talent, watching him draw. My desk was right next to his. That's a whole another topic, but that'll eat up the whole time we have.
0: And one of the nice things about Top Cow is Top Cow had a lot of really cool comics that really allowed artists to cut their teeth and really showcase their talent. And I'm going to name a few of them that people know. Tomb Raider and Witchblade. And you worked as a penciler, an inker, and a cover artist on these books. And I'm sure you could go on for hours on both of these books because they have huge histories with the writers and creators and everything that you've done. But what was that like working on in those books?
1: Top Cow books were and still are my favorite to work on. I love drawing for Marvel and DC when I've drawn the characters. And it's a nostalgic feeling, that childhood feeling like I couldn't believe I got to draw Superman on a cover. And it had Jim Lee's art on the inside of the book, no less. And he was one of my top two heroes, Jim Lee and Mark Silvestri. And being able to go home and show my mom and dad, because they took us to San Diego Comic-Con every year. So it was like a big family thing. Everybody was into it. Like, look, Ma, I drew Superman, your favorite character on a cover. Cover of a real book, like it's nostalgic and everything. But the Top Cow books, Silvestri designed all of them, and he has this organic design sense. It's the best I've ever seen in any of all comics. Like the way that he designed the Witchblade costume and the Darkness costume—they are just some of the best character designs. So like it was what I was made for. Like my particular talent, like really resonated with Silvestri's design. So it was a dream come true. I worked on those books you mentioned, Witchblade and Darkness, and I did my own Tomb Raider books as well. And it was just a lot of fun. You know, she was just a hit video game. And when I drew my Tomb Raider books, here's a great story. I went to my editors and I was like, hey, you know what? I really want to draw this book. I drew three issues of Tomb Raider. And I said, Laura Croft has a lot of skills. She's a hand-to-hand combat fighter. She's a gymnast. She's an athlete. And I know she has all these skills. So I want her to showcase all these skills and not use her guns. And I always tell people, hey, did you notice that she didn't shoot a single bullet in the three issues that I did? They're like, holy crap. No, I didn't even realize it and she fought the Magdalena who guest starred in the book and it was great being a top cow I was able to walk into the creative directors and editors and make a suggestion like that like hey can this main character who's known for her guns not use them at all like brilliant yes let's do that and I loved it I had a lot of creative freedom a lot of like input and I had the backing of Mark Silvestri. one time I got to work with Paul Jenkins and we looked over the script and we decided like hey maybe we need more action and this issue and I had the whole support of the whole staff and Sylvester himself and we had a lot more excitement in that issue and I was able to work with him and make it happen like that it was just a joy man it was just like a dream it was like a comic book version of Disneyland
0: in talking about comic book versions of Disneyland you got to work on a very cool book which was a combination of Marvel Wolverine and Witchblade what was that (laughs) like being a Marvel fan
1: oh yeah and especially a wolverine fan like that one probably takes the cake for like the most nostalgic childhood joy because wolverine was in my top two favorite characters of all time and is my current number one the other one was thor i love drawing thor i love thor growing up he was my dad's favorite so like it's kind of born and bred into me like a football team sort of situation gets passed down but wolverine was my very own favorite like it wasn't influenced by my dad or my uncle or anything like that because he's such a modern Character and being a huge Jim Lee fan and Mark Silvestri fan, like no one ever drew Wolverine like cooler than those guys and. I was like, holy crap, I get to draw him alongside Witchblade no less. And with Chris Claremont writing the words, I was nervous but not like scared nervous. I was excited to tackle the project because this was the moment I was waiting for. Unfortunately, at the time I started getting a little bit lazier by the time I got to Wolverine Witchblade, and I started taking longer on pages and missing deadlines because like Top Cow's kind of like that's just their thing, draw at your leisure. And I drew the first half of the Book really, really well, and all all the detail. And then the second half of the book, like I kind of ate through all of my time and I drew them a little faster. And those were all the action pages of Wolverine. So it was one of the bigger challenges because I couldn't sacrifice the detail because it's Wolverine. So, like, some of the pages would take me 18, 22 hours to do, and I wouldn't move, I wouldn't eat. You know, I'm in the top cow offices. Mark Silvestri randomly walks around and like looks over your shoulder, like, hey, what are you working on? And you had to make sure that you were drawing the best you possibly could, just in case. Mr. Mark Silvestri is walking around. It was a lot of pressure, but fun and excitement because he was my all-time favorite and it was nostalgic. So it was a great experience drawing that book. It was surreal. I couldn't believe that I got to do it. I couldn't believe it It was a dream. By the way, most of my stories are going to sound that way. I'm very grateful for my job drawing these characters because, again, I went to San Diego Comic-Con every year since I was 12 years old, all four days, and I got to meet the creators. I got to meet Mark Silvestri, Andy Park, Jim Lee, Rob Black. I feel Dale Keown, all of those guys in my era, you know, I got to meet Chris Claremont, I was a fan and I got to meet every creator I've ever liked worship and been a fan of. So being on the other side of the table, finally, like it's just a dream come true. So my stories are going to sound a lot like that.
0: And then there are two more books from Top Cow that I want to talk about. And one of them you mentioned already, which is the Magdalena as you were the penciler and the cover artist on this book. And this was, I think, one of your first big opportunities. And the other one is City of Heroes, which was based off the video game. And that was interesting. And David Nakayama was involved in that book. And Mark Wade was also involved as a writer, who's one of those legendary writers. So what was it like Mm -hmm. really working on these two projects? Because they definitely showcase your skills.
1: Well, I can't really talk too much about City of Heroes because in your research, you must have looked up my name and my brother actually inked a lot of comic book stuff and his name is in the book. So it never really worked on that. But my brother did. He did a lot of inking on that. So I can't really talk about that one because that one wasn't me. But John Magdalena was definitely the big outbreak of my career. It was my big hit. It was my big coming out party. That one changed everything. I actually made it to the cover of previews on my very first issue. And again, I was blown away. I'm a very grateful person. I'm a very spiritual person. I was thanking my lucky stars. I was always very grateful to make sure to keep getting those opportunities and not mess things up. And I was very grateful. Magdalena, not only did I get to design the costume that I wanted to draw, you know, again, I made it to the previews. It made it into the top Wizard 100 list, the top 100 comics of the month. It was really nice to be there. I was in the top. I think 70% by issues and it was such a great feeling like it was a dream come true you know you never think that anyone would really like your work and anytime I was in previews and they saw my name like the sales always kind of jumped up a little bit and this was not something that I went and looked at people would tell me like hey you know your books always just sell a little bit more and it was such a great feeling because man did I put a lot of hours into those pages Magdalena specifically sometimes I drew two pages a day when I was in my stride I drew three pages a Day I was fast. I never once compromised my detail. That's the one thing I would never never give up. Magdalene is a book I'm very, very, very proud of. I drew four issues, cover to cover, and the first issue was actually had a couple of extra pages in it. I drew all the covers and I made them all on time. The book was actually late because of the writer, and that normally never happens. At Top Cow, it was always the artists. They're the ones that were always late. But for once it wasn't the case. But there were days where like I would not eat. I remember very vividly, like I would chop up apples or like grapes and like I would have them in the bowl and I would eat little pellets of food when I had a moment of rest. I would sleep in my chair at the bullpen at Top Cow. I wouldn't go home. I would just like take quick power naps to get these pages done because I was so hungry for it. When I was drawing Magdalena, that was like my dream come true. I got to draw my own series. I couldn't believe that. Let me design the costume we even had a contest that we built all the way around that whole costume like you the fans get to choose which costume do you want to see i drew like 10 15 different versions of her costume and the fans got to speak out. And it was like a whole event. Top Cow really pushed Magdalena when I drew it like a lot. So they put a lot of advertisement, a lot of money into it. And it was great exposure. It put me on the map of sorts, like in the non top two. It really put me on the map, that particular book. And uh, I was very grateful to have that experience with Magdalena. It's my favorite one of all of them.
0: And I think you kind of spoke about this a little bit right now, but what is that like to have a company believe in you and also be in the top and starting to get recognized for what you are doing and the work you're putting in? Because that's what really happened. this is kind of the key series that put you on the map, for lack of a better word.
1: It was surreal. Because Mark Silvestri, like he okayed everything, you know, like it had to go all the way to the top. So knowing that I had a whole company backing me and having faith and all that stuff, it's a lot of pressure at some point it did get to me because towards the end of my years at Cal, I drew less and less and I drew a little slower and slower because I got a little lazy. It was probably all that pressure because they were like, okay, well, draw the next batch of books or draw the next batch of pages. And to draw that detail on that level, every single page, it definitely wore you out but having the faith of the company was definitely amazing because they would take you and send you to the San Diego Comic Con and they would pay for my hotel, they would pay for the food and, you know, it was a dream. My parents, they used to save all year so we could take a family trip to San Diego and all of a sudden, I'm going there for free on someone else's dollar, on someone else's dime. There were days where I would get a knock on my desk from Top Cat they'd be like, hey, do you want to help design this statue? And I'm like, what? I was a young kid. They hired me at 18. I got in at 19. And I imagine it's how Kobe Bryant must have felt. Like, he can't believe it. Like, the NBA, the Lakers, of all people, they're backing me at 18 years old at right high school. It's a lot of faith. And it was a joy at the same time. It validated my style. I put a lot of work into my look and my style. It was a blend of a lot of artists that I really like. Jim Lee and Sylvester, are obviously my biggest influences. But I love J. Scott Campbell. I grew up with Danger girl. So Metal Cal liked my style. And I guess it was marketable and I love the idea that they can use my art to help sell their product because I wanted to get my art out there and like I said it was a dream I felt like Kobe Bryant like I was just this kid among all these adults I've never had a real job I've never worked before Top Cow is literally my first step into the working force. And they gave me a key card. I can come and go as I please. I had a key to the front door. It was just amazing to have their faith because they use you as gimmick and selling points. You know, like, hey, the San Diego Comic-Con exclusive cover is by Ebas. It's so amazing to have that faith. I feel like I didn't live up to my potential towards the end, and I regret it. Like, I wish I would have drawn, like, with the same hunger over the years. Like, after 10 years, I started becoming a cover artist and drawing covers for Zenoscope and Aspen, and that was a lot of fun. Then came the hot girl era, so I started getting into drawing the covers instead of pages, because drawing pages... For Top Cow, is like boot camp. Every day, every minute, there's no time to sleep or rest. Everybody, they get off work at five and go home and that's it. Their responsibility is done. When I was drawing Magdalena, even though my page was done at the end of the day, well, I have a decision. I'm dead tired. It's 22 hours later. Do I do the layout for my next page before I go to bed or do I wake up, start brainstorming for layouts? And those were decisions I had to make. And there were times where I was like, well, this page is easy enough. So let's just do the layout now before you go to bed. My point is the job never ends when you're drawing interior pages, but drawing covers and stuff was just a lot of fun. And Tapio started using me for a lot of covers as well. Like, well, this guy can at least sell the book drawing just the cover. And again, they gave me all the faith. Hey man, draw all our exclusive covers because they sell a little bit better. And like everybody told me that I was on cloud nine. They really liked my work and it was not just guys. It was men and women and children. When I meet the fans at San Diego Comic-Con, it was such a nice experience. Because of Top Cal, it gave me a lot of exposure to everyone that ever went to that convention. And they meet me, and I made sure to always be nice to the fans because I love being treated well as a fan. And like some of these guys still buy my work till today. It's like 20 years later, and they're still buying my work. And they're like, hey, I remember meeting you in San Diego when you were, you know, young. It's great because of Top Cal. Uh, and having the faith that they were able to really put me out there. Uh, I'm very grateful.
0: And now before we get into the hot girl era, because I love that era of your work. I'm a big ZenScope yep. fan. I do want to talk about two more companies briefly. And you did some work for Marvel. You did a Civil War book. You did an Ultimate Fantastic Four issue. I think you worked on the new X-Men that Mark Silvestri sort of brought you into. And then on the DC Mm -hmm. side, you did some Justice League 5 work in the new 52. I think you did a Flash cover and you did Batman 50 and you had a really awesome Dark Knights Metal 3 cover set.
1: I did a couple Harley Quinn issues. I did a Suicide Squad one and I know you want me to change it up but like it's going to be all the same stories. It's very nostalgic when I worked for DC because my mom's favorite character is Superman. So when I drew JLA number one and I got to be on the cover that's probably my greatest achievement in my career because they used my two images over and over again even now. DC has put me on two JLA covers and I've seen it on trading cards. I've seen it on like socks i've seen it on blankets and my favorite is a cereal box i've been on the cover of a cereal box with the two images that i have that i've done for dc and my jla covers i've never seen my art used on such a wide scale and I can tell you a story. One time I was walking in, I believe it was Staples. You know, I needed to buy some supplies. And I'm walking by this calendar rack. And I turn and I see my art. And I'm like, hey, wait a minute. That's me. <laughs> and like I walk over and my art is just sitting in the store for random people to buy. And inside that calendar was Jim Lee, was Dave Finch, and Michael Turner, Ivan Rice, and me. I was among some of the industry's top guys. And again, like I don't know how differently I can say this. Let me ask it this way.
0: Now that you're with all your heroes that you admired and grew up in, how did that make you feel that you're sort of on their level and that you're with them? I mean, you can never be on Jim Lee's level because he's just amazing. Nobody can. (laughs) But I think the question still stands where you're now included in that group and your art is being marketed not just to comic fans.
1: You know what? I've thought about it and I don't know like the real answer but I imagine because I've worked in-house, you know, at Top Cow and I've worked with Aspen Studios. I've been in a lot of studios so I know the way that they're structured and the way they work and a lot of times when they're doing campaigns, names are always going to come up. They're like, well, I like this guy's art and I like this guy's art and I like this image and they always just vote on a yes. The editors, the big wigs that put these things together so like I love the idea that my name with the images that I've done because I've drawn nowhere near the percentage of covers that Dave Finch has done, Jim Lee has done, like I've done very, very, very little compared to those two guys and knowing in the calendar like I didn't have just the one image. I had my Flash was in there, my Justice Leagues were in there and it wasn't just the one. So like with the thousands and you know probably maybe a million different images of the Justice League alone, knowing that they're using images that are a couple of years old, that means that they don't care about the current mm-hmm. Facebook of the character. They just want the images that are going to sell the best and resonate the best with random people. Grandma, little Jimmy that's seven years old, Uncle Willie, who's like, you know, a huge Green Lantern fan. They're catering to like the entire mass population and countries all over the world, like people, not Comic-Con fans, regular people. And they're like, you know what? These images we feel are going to be the population's favorite. And that's how I imagine they're choosing these images to help sell. Because again, DC said me a pair of socks with my flash art on it and these plaques and like skateboards and they send me comps and stuff like that and it's amazing knowing that the company, Warner Brothers, the stamp is on all of the product. It's got the faith of all of them. And knowing that I could stand with guys like Jim Lee, it's a dream come true. Because I waited in Jim Lee's line for no less than like three hours when I was growing up, from 12 all the way to full adult. And I would never consider him a peer. He will always be just a legend. Mark Silvestri will never be a peer even though we're buddies and I have a cell phone number and stuff. They will always be my heroes. They're always going to be on another level. And I'm only grateful that I'm even included in the same batch of stuff that DC puts out. I'm very grateful. I'm still inspired by all of their art still to today. I go to comic shops and I still buy art from all the guys. I'm a huge fan of art and my style is the way it is because I'm such a huge fan. So like I said, walking into the store and seeing my product on the shelves, I love that the DC heads have their favorite batch of images of their iconic character. These are images that are going to represent all of DC, all of Warner Brothers and like okay, we're going to choose it and send it out to the masses. You know, T-shirts. They sent my image on the cover of a cereal box all the way in Brazil. It's just amazing because fans send it to me. They're like, hey, I was in my supermarket store and this is in Brazil. And they're like, I found your art on the shelf. Like I eat your cereal every day for breakfast. And it's just like, I'm being told by this by someone on the other side of the globe. And again, I couldn't be more grateful because they let me know and they recognize my image. It's embedded in their head. And they're like, holy crap, I recognize that image. It's the artist that I like from America. And they send it to me. And it's an amazing feeling what I've been through in my career. I'm very privileged. I'm very lucky. I'm very grateful. And I'll never stop feeling that way. Even as I get more popular or start working on X-Men, I'll never stop feeling grateful. It's just I'm very, very fortunate. I'm a fortunate person.
0: And now let's talk about the Hot Girl Error. And before right. we get into it, I am a little bit curious because you incorporate mm-hmm. your name into many of these covers as Ebass, almost like a tattoo. And right. it's extremely fitting because Ebass sounds like something else. And there's a cover <laughs> of Widow's Web that has Go Ass on it. And I love Widow's Web. I love Raven right. Gregory and I love Autumn Ivy. She was on the podcast and she's amazing. So how did this come about and what started and sparked this era to start?
1: Oh, man, that's a cool, fun story. It actually all started at Top Cow, believe it or not. There's a company called J Company, and they wanted to do their own exclusives for the Top Cow books. They would slap their cover on it, and all the other guys were too busy, you know, like Kucha and Michael Turner and Andy Park. They drew covers for J Company, but I was a guy that was less busy, so I started drawing a lot more, and these guys are the first ones to ever tell me that my sales were on par with Michael Turner, if not better sometimes, and that was such an unbelievable feeling. It was very surreal. I was maybe 20 years old when they told me that. And Michael Turner was a living legend at the time and still is, obviously. But he was at the height of his career. He created Aspen and Fathom. And I was just dominating everything. And knowing that I was drawing my own Fathom swimsuit specials for J Company. So I started like drawing these sexy poses. And I always felt like there was a lot of fans that really wanted this niche. There was a huge demand, like a desire to see a hot girl version of their favorite characters. And people do it all over the internet. They'll draw like a nude Supergirl or Wonder Woman or whatever. So like I knew that there was a fan base. People even do it with Disney characters. So when J Company came to me and they were like, hey, you know what? Can you do these hot girl versions? It couldn't be more like the way Arnold was meant to play the Terminator because I couldn't have been at the right place at the right time more than that. Because I'm a fan of drawing the female form. I draw it in my own style. And they gave me an opportunity and I kept trying to push the envelope with J Company. And we eventually got into the topless area. And I love the idea of pushing the envelope. Here hear stories about Eminem and Marilyn Manson and Elvis Presley, like the rebels of the era. I'm not saying that I am one, but I noticed that in the media, you either love or you hate this person's product. But regardless, those people always paved the way for the next generation to do something and make it okay. Like Madonna, like she made it okay to oversexualize. Music And a lot of people at the time definitely hated Madonna for doing it, for being so raunchy and slutty and everything. But when everything comes down and subsides, no one's going to say anything bad about Elvis anymore because he did it too, you know, swinging his hips and getting censored on TV. At the time, no one's ready for it. And when I got into drawing nipple, no one was ready for it. They weren't expecting that. And I like the idea of pushing the envelope. I love the idea of drawing something exciting and something never seen before in comic books on a mainstream level like xenoscope and it's so ironic but it worked like a dream because it was all part of my plan i definitely raised some eyebrows i imagine and i'm sure i offended some moms out there who accidentally see it or something like that but it paved the way i believe for a whole new generation of artists that have spawned because of nudity and sexualized covers and these exclusives and what they go for on ebay and it's going to sound bizarre but like i believe i'm the godfather of it all like i started the whole thing and eventually the topless became full nude and now I've literally paved the way for everyone who now has their career and companies because of this situation and my desire to keep pushing the envelope like I, I begged some of these guys please trust me let me do this shot of just an ass on the cover or like cutting the face off or a girl taking her panties off even Zenoscope said no they're like they're too much for us and these were the guys that helped start it you know so I went over to like Big Dog Inc and they were one of the first guys they were brave enough to print pulling the panties down on a cover like even Xenoscope was afraid like people were not ready they're nervous they don't know how people are going to react the fans are going to react and I knew in my gut if you do it right and you do it classy enough with artistry you're not going to offend them and thank god and thankfully I was right there wasn't an uproar and there was no outrage and all I did was pave the way for so many new artists to do it. We got guys that are just coming up out of nowhere. You got Ryan Kincaid now. He's starting his career on all of these things. And Mike DeBalfo, they started their careers just drawing topless girls. And all of these new guys are just, hey, I want to draw these hot naked girls all day long for a living. And like it's bizarre, but it, it spawned like a whole new section of the industry has never really existed before. Because now people can have a career that starts off with being a cover artist artist, a good girl artist. I never worked like that before. You had to be in comics, work, draw issues and comics and pages, and eventually you can just do covers. But now there's this new section of the industry where you could start your career by just doing covers. And I'm glad that I could help inspire that. I'm glad I could help influence that. It's changed a lot of people's lives. Like a lot of people are doing Kickstarters and doing really well for themselves without being on the big two. I'm glad to be a part of it. Xenoscope and the whole Good Girl art, it's a lot of fun. And you know what some of the best part is? That women are really into it as well. It's not just the fanboys. I have tons, tons of females. And I remember on my last sale, looking at my orders, and some of the first four girls that ordered one of my topless prints that I just posted were all females all females. And it's such a delight because it's another validation. Like when my art is in the same calendar as Jim Lee, it was a validation. And knowing that I'm not offending, I'm not treating the female body wrong, I'm not offending, knowing that other women also like my work, it was a huge sigh of relief knowing that I'm doing the beauty of a woman justice, the female body, I'm doing it justice, I'm not offending anybody or anything like that, which I don't ever want to do. Even though I try to push the envelope, I don't ever want to get to the point where it's like raunchy and offensive and gory and icky and they say that I never cross that line the female they tell me and they're like you still somehow managed to capture the power of the sexuality of a woman and if it comes from a woman then there is no more validation than that and it is my honor and my privilege to just represent I'm grateful for the whole good girl era of art I'm grateful to have been at the start of it and be a part of it. And I'm glad that my boldness just helped open a lot of other doors for a lot of other people, like White Widow and Widow's Web and all of those things. I feel like I'm a bit responsible for it being okay to publish and print and do these things. I'm grateful. I'm very grateful.
0: And to talk a little bit about Zenscope, because you played an instrumental part in a lot of the covers for Wonderland and getting that kicked off. And mm. those are amazing covers. And then you've done some amazing work for Robin Hood and especially like right. the Mario and the Yoshi and the Princess Peaches that you've done, because I think those are amazing. And that's definitely from your era as a video gamer. So what is that like to really get to play with these characters and really get to do cool covers that go reference other pop culture? have them sell out like crazy. What is there like nine different Yoshi covers that you have out there?
1: Is it up to nine? Wow. It's bizarre, man. It's like a dream. Like Zenoscope is actually my current favorite company to work with as a major like independent company. CounterPoint is up there. Another favorite of mine because with my history, um, what I've been able to do over the last decade with Zenoscope and the Good Girl Art, I have complete and utter control, complete trust from all of those companies. Anyone that hires me, they know what they're getting. And again, it's just a dream because I literally can come up with any idea I want and I'm like hey I'm in the mood to draw an octopus or I'm in the mood to draw Mario or Yoshi and all I have to do is just tell them and they're like dude do whatever you want to do just as long as we get a topless version and we get like this regular version as long as they get their versions they're happy and I really wanted to draw a video game theme and I got Bowset, I got Yoshi I got Bowser I got Princess Peach I really wanted to do a Raccoon Mario. That one may still be in the works down the line I would love to do a Mario version. And I was just in a mood to do a video game thing and it became a cool set. And my whole purpose behind it was to create like a little like set type gimmick. And it definitely catered to a certain genre of guys that grew up with that whole Nintendo era. And they said, yeah, go ahead and do whatever you want. And it was just a lot of fun. It was my way back in because I took a little break from Xenoscope. I draw my own books now. I'm my own boss in a way. I draw my mojo book and I get to draw my own covers of my own characters of what I designed and what I want to do. So I took a little break from Denoscope but when I came back it was with the Yoshi covers and the Princess Peach and all of those and I've been kind of on like a two or three year hiatus from doing work for a lot of other people and it felt like a good comeback with those covers and I chose a little bit of everything. I always try to make sure to keep it fresh. If I did a Go Ask cover on one issue I try to do like a topless one on another and then maybe focus focus on the lower part of the front of the girl on another cover. Like I try to change it up and turn it around. So if you ever put them side by side, get a little bit of everything, get a little bit of variety. And to me, it feels like you're kind of playing a director. When you're a director or a writer of a movie, you're in complete control of what the audience wants to see and what they want to experience. If you want to make the audience cry, you want to make them happy. And you kind of play God with people's emotions and feelings, you know, as a director, writer, creator. And I love the joy of what. What am I going to do today? What am I going to cook? What am I going to create? Like a chef, what do I want to make them experience with this particular piece? And with xenoscope and drawing for counterpoint with Michaels, again, they trust me completely. I never have to ask permission. I try to ask the audience, what are you guys in the mood to see? Do you want to see a little bit more risque? I'm in this whole lingerie diamond mood right now. So like I'm drawing a lot of 90s and lingerie with these diamonds all over them and things like that. And I know that the audience is going to love the way this looks, on their characters that they like. And I try to build this whole theme around it. And it's just a dream because I'm at the point now in my career, after doing it for so long, I literally get to try anything I want. So I try to keep it fresh. I don't ever use photos. I don't know if a lot of your listeners have ever wondered with my art, because a lot of artists use a lot of photos. But it's really difficult to use photos when, like, let's say I want to do this specific ass cover. I can't be scrolling through, wasting time on the Internet, which I'm sure is a joy. For a lot of guys out there but uh, like <laughs> i don't have the time because if you go into like the internet black hole with images of searches of hot naked girls ass poses i'm sure you'll get lost like you'll just wake up one day and it's like oh crap it's three days later like i don't have that kind of time so like i come up with all my own poses i don't ever use the internet i mean ever like i don't get computer viruses from my search engines or anything like that i don't ever do it i don't have the time so like, for example, Marat Michaels, I'm sure you guys know his work and you love his stuff. He's like, hey, you know what, e we need another classic ass cover. So he's like, draw a doody poo in her butt and give us his nice ass shot. I can't just start scrolling the internet for this specific camera angle so I think that a lot of reason why some people like my work is because of the look that I have and like I spent a lot of time studying like I did when I was 12 and I was studying Jim Lee and I was studying Sylvesteri's art and like John Bussema like I always study the subject matter so when the time comes and you're on crunch time and you're on deadline you can deliver your top tier quality or at least close to it on a certain amount of time I do study on my off time like I study the female form you You know, like Victoria's Secrets or Pinterest and if they're scrolling through your feed or something like that. So I do keep up to date with my anatomy lessons. I still do anatomy for drawing my superhero guys, you know, in case I need to draw Superman or Batman. And I do a lot of homework. I do study a lot, like visually. I don't sit there and do anatomy class like in the rookie days. Because when you're more advanced, you can even study with just your eyes. You don't have to bust out the pencil or the pad necessarily to study or brush up on this pose. So anyways, when I was asked to do this ass pose from Murad's book, I don't need to waste time looking for all of these photos. I can kind of sculpt the woman figure from just about any angle in my style and pretty much execute what I had in mind. It's a dream. I get to do whatever I want. I don't know if you can imagine what that's like. They're like, hey, here's a character. We need it by this date. We need her topless and new and I'm just like, man, I love my job. I wake up at home and I sit at my desk and I get to be like, hey, I get to play God and I get to create moves and feelings for my audience and my fans. And I'm very privileged because some of these covers, you guys and even you, you remember Widow's Web, you remember the Go-Ass cover.
0: I own and that I, cover. That's why I remember it. It's a great cover.
1: <laughs> Thank you, man. And I sit there and I try to decide, like of all the angles that you could put a woman in her ass in that angle, which one is going To be the one that you can't walk away from. That when you see it, this is the one that you gotta have because there's a lot of other covers out there as well, and mine are not cheap. They're pretty expensive, and I want to make sure that when you decide to drop that three hundred dollars for that limited ten, you don't hesitate and you don't regret it and you don't feel bad. You're like, oh man, this was worth every penny. It's a great feeling, and again, I get to work from home, and my fiance she works at home too, and like I just get to hang out all day and do these things. It's a great job. I love my job. I'm very grateful.
0: And to even talk about more Zenscope, because we didn't get one tenth of your covers, but you've got to play with Dorothy and Oz, which convinced my mom to allow me to buy more Zenscope covers. When I was still under her uh-huh. house. You also right. did some stuff with Gretel. You've done some stuff with Van Helsing, a lot of Wonderland, a lot of Robin Hood and a variety of other characters. And I think you hit it perfectly where you do get a lot to play with with Zensko. So what is that like having so much to play with?
1: It's amazing because not only do I get to play with them, like my Magdalena story, I actually get to design them as well. Sometimes I like an existing costume and it looks really cool, but, you know, it's like Superman. Like when you look at him and it's like, does he really need to have his shorts on the outside of his pants anymore? It's like 70, 80 years later. You know, let's play around with that. You love the costume, you love the S and the cape and all that, but you want to kind of update it a little bit, give it a cool new spin or a new flair. And Xenoscope trusts me a lot with that sort of thing. And I designed a lot of the characters. So like I try to update them to cater a little bit to my style, of course, but like also on a marketing term, like make this character a little bit more attractive or update or make it look a little bit more sexy or more beautiful, more powerful. So like a lot with these characters, I got to design them and it makes it that much more fun to draw. Like I designed Baba Yaga. I designed Robin Hood. The scar on her eye and the jewel in her bow, that's all me. I thought it would be cool when I got to draw issue one of Robin Hood. I drew the very first issue, the very first cover that they use. And again, this company like Xenoscope, they're like, we have all these other covers, but let's just use this eBass one to market it, to advertise, and to promote. And again, it's a privilege, and it's my honor, and I love it. I got the backing of the whole company for the Good Girl Art, and they trust me, and I came up with the whole character, and with her eye, I thought it would be bizarre and unique to have an archer. It's common sense that you need both eyes to have depth. If you walk around with one eye, your depth perception is immediately taken down, and I thought it would be cool to have a character Obviously, in the comic book universe, because there's no way it would exist realistically. You can't have an archer with one eye, they just won't hit the bull's You need both eyes for depth. And I thought it'd be cool. I'm not involved with her origin. I think that was Raven, like, dude, make sure she has one eye. She needs this jewel and this crystal, maybe to help make these impossible shots. And that little part of her origin, it all came from her concept when I designed her. So that's a lot of fun. I got to do Dorothy's costume. I got to update some of the scarecrow and hook. That's all my design, like Tinkerbell. Her costume is all my design. The sparkles in her wings and like the little spirals of pixie dust. I wanted her wings to be made of this stuff. I'm like, hey, how cool would that look? On top of all the detail. So I'm like, you know what? Let's just make her wings made out of this hardened pixie dust. And Xenoscope, they're just nothing but thrilled. They're like, hey, cool. We get a free design. You know, a lot of times I don't charge them anymore. I used to charge for character designs, but I do so many of them now that it's like, hey, you know what? I'll just start designing these for free or whatever. And I got to do it a lot. I designed Alice's costume, which got turned into a toy. My design is on the action figure that Claiborne Moore himself sculpted. Like, it's endless. I designed so many of their characters over there and the look of them and everything like that. So it's a dream.
0: And one of the cool things about some of these designs and many of your covers is you almost worked exclusively with two artists that do the colors and ink it, and that's Nia Rafino and Ula Moss, if I said that correctly. Both of these ladies are amazing. So what is your oh, relationship yeah. like with them? Because they bring it out and they bring it to life so much and they're awesome
1: amazing and Sabine as well working with these girls I feel a lot of times that I'm one of the lucky ones that the heavens look down because they're very sought out after nowadays J. Scott Campbell Frank Cho they come knocking on these girls doors and their fame and notoriety is like light years above mine I don't draw for the big two they do and so knowing that they don't turn down my covers even though you got big guys are always hunting them down again it's validation that my art is worth their time it always takes them longer because of all my details. I'm very grateful to Ula, and Nia, and Sabine because they can color this other artist. They can do three covers in a day. Like, mine may take them two whole days. Coloring my work makes them lose money because it takes them so much time. So, I'm grateful. I've been very close to a lot of them. We traveled to Comic Cons together like a group of us and we've all shared the same room and we eat at the same restaurants after and we grab drinks. And Nia and I, like, we helped start all of that back in the day. Like, she was the first one to really color the topless covers and the nude covers on the mainstream so she was there at the beginning of Zenoscope with me doing all of that and we became very close and like we even became neighbors and at one point Nia even dated my fiance's brother and we were neighbors we literally lived down the hall and I could like go into Nia's office and sit down and just hang out and give her pointers and like hey you know can you color this like that and can you add this effect and we were creating magic like side by side and she's a fellow Virgo So we had a lot of chemistry and we connected. And it was very easy to talk and collaborate. Sabine Rich is also a Virgo. It was kind of like I had two twin colorers that I had the same chemistry with. And they trusted me. And they always listened to my advice and any pointers I may have had. And knowing that I have their complete faith as well as Ula Moss, it's just amazing because I try to give them little to no direction, especially those three girls, because I trust them. They've been doing it a long time. But if there's a specific color choice, obviously, for the Yoshi I'm like okay well we need a red and a blue and a green but that's pretty much all I tell them so like I trust them because I don't want to hinder their magic and their mojo like companies trust me I trust my girls they're like do what you do listen to your instincts I just did a cover I can't even tell you what it is and I gave it to Sabine and I'm like just do your magic I trust you and same thing with Ula I just did a death a key res cover for Zenoscope I think it was for their Kickstarter and she's sitting on her sickle or straddling it or something like that and I didn't tell Ula a single thing. And she chose this really soft purple background. And then we did an alternate cover with a little bit more pink. And it goes into a more like cotton candy pink and purple. And I love that they listen to the instincts because that's where I get the best out of them. So I trust them. They trust me. It's a whole symbiotic relationship for sure. I'm very privileged because their colors, when it comes to like drawing beautiful females and topless females and just attractive females, they have this color palette that just catches the eye. Like as much as my art does, like. like. you're walking by the table and like, whoa, look at those colors, you know, like the hair, the special effects, the glow, the way the rim light bounces off booty. Like they know just as well like their craft. And I'm so fortunate because I'm working with some of the best in the industry and Sanju as well. He colors most of my mojo books from my own stuff. And there's nothing but trust. I only work with guys that I know that trust to make the right decisions on their end.
0: And obviously we're now starting to talk about what makes a good cover and what brings out a good cover? And I don't want to give away all the trade secrets, but very quickly, <laughs> what do you feel really makes a good cover? Because you've been doing this forever and you have some of the best out of Zenscope. It's you, Chazus, Garvey, Sun, Kumanaki, and there are mm-hmm. several that I'm missing here that have amazing work and Zenscope is just a great breeding ground collectively for that
1: what makes a good cover well you know what this may sound i guess corporate but unfortunately this is a business so i definitely keep sales in mind whenever i draw a piece i have to know what it's for if it's for like a big san diego exclusive or a big kickstarter or a big launch i don't ever veer from the basics i'm constantly thinking mainstream movie poster style images because again i'm not trying to just capture my particular fan base i always want to push it further i want whoever is standing next to the guy that has my cover i want all of his buddies in the comic shop to be like what's that who drew that like why can't i stop looking away from this image so i stick to the basics and make sure that i don't add a lot of storytelling or too much of my own technique you know like some guys like maybe they're into drawing a lot of like skulls or weird camera angles or things like that. You don't want to do too much of that when it's a mainstream launch. If it's supposed to be a big hit, i definitely consider sales and I know this sounds bizarre, but make a good cover sometimes. You have to make sure that the image is going to capture as many glances as possible and not only catch them, keep them there. It has to make sure that when your eye lands that if something resonates, it's pulling you in. And pinup shots like Norman Walkwell does, like J.C. Leyendecker does, sometimes you need to have that image that looks posed, that looks like there was a director or a director of photography or someone there and doing hair and makeup. I know that it's cheesy or there's no lack of substance, but those are the images that resonate the most, I believe are the most powerful and the ones that I believe sell the most product. Alex Ross is a great example. When he's designing a specific cover of Superman, where it's just a one shot, he doesn't do a lot of storytelling because sometimes he'll literally draw panels, fade into the background of an image like he'll do a storytelling where he did uncle Sam is laying on the ground like that's a storytelling image that may not necessarily sell as well but when he's doing superman very straight up you always see the s on his chest is never obscured his arms are crossed very majestic looking very pin up looking so if you want to draw like a good cover you can't add too much storytelling into it unless you have four covers that you can do of the same book so if you have wonderland my general rule of thumb is the very first issue make it iconic movie style Poster, very basic, pinup like Norman Walkwell type cover, a Michael Turner type cover, very pinupy. On issue two or three and four, then you can start playing around with storytelling. Do the cool camera angle or do that cool thing where all the cast members show up, where she's sitting on the cover drinking a cup of tea with the Mad Hatter. All of those storytelling covers will statistically decrease in sales because the pinup image is the image that everyone has to have if they're just buying the one-off cover. That's my advice. Take it or leave it. I believe it's tried and true over the decades of me doing pinup covers. whenever. I do that basic pinup a movie-style shot. It's definitely a seller, and it's tried and true, that would be my advice.
0: And now we're going to table Zenscope and the rest of the comic stuff. But I did hear a rumor, and I heard it mm-hmm. from Zenscope, and I heard that you're really good at beer pong. And so I'm just curious, for everybody who wants to know, and possibly there might be an event in August that you might be at, What is your average in case there is a challenge?
1: I do pretty good. I have an unfair advantage. I'm an artist and I have like a little bit of an eagle eye. I can get pretty good headshots in a video game. So like when I need to focus whether I'm drinking or not, I can definitely hit that bullseye. I can play darts, drinking beer and still hit the bullseye. But again, it's kind of like playing darts with Hawkeye. I have an unfair advantage. I can definitely do pretty good. I can hold my own for sure. I can go to the last table the last round. No problem.
0: So now getting back to more of a serious tone, I am curious what advice you have for people who want to get into comics whether that's penciling, inking, writing, or just doing cover work?
1: I guess one answer can work for both. You know, it's stereotypical, it's cliche, but I really, really encourage studying your favorite guys. If Your favorite guys, Michael Turner and J. Scott Campbell, study the heck out of them. And whoever your favorites are, find out what made them cool. What was their niche? What was their hook? Jim Lee and like Rob Liefeld, they were dynamic with their cross-hatching and their poses. Find out what it is, is their magic and try to incorporate into your own work so you can learn flair. And dynamism is very, very important. Todd McFarlane, he just drew super dynamic characters like Spider-Man and their poses. And study your guys. If you like me or you like Mike DeBalfo, like study whatever the magic of what we try to capture and you'll go far. Study, study your ass off. I studied when I was six years old. That's when I first started. When I first started, I have drawings when I was six. And I studied till I was ready to go. Always draw on all your off time. Don't watch that marathon of Netflix shows cut it in half and put in the time like there's no shortcuts there's no way around it you have to draw attractive looking people Because at the end of the day, it is a business. A company wants to be able to sell you. They want to look at you and say, hey, you can make us money. We're going to put you on some covers. And the only way to do that is to draw things that people want to see. I recommend doing the cliche, study, learn, and practice. There's no way around it. Even if you want to just draw covers, study, learn, and practice. Get out your magazines or your quote, unquote, research folder on your computer and start studying. If you need to study my work, that's fine. Use it to do that. Trace it. Do whatever you have to do. But get the knowledge in your head. You want to be able to move the figure in any direction at any time in any pose any angle and do it on a timely manner that's just good advice for anybody so study study I to today I've not stopped studying I still study I still buy comics I still look at all my influences whether it's a photo or an artist I still do it now I'm currently studying lighting looking at sunsets I'm looking at what Nia Rufino used to look at just stare at the sky and look at the different hues of blue study 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 right now I'm studying lighting so I'm looking at color because I kind of got the whole human being down I can draw space ships and buildings and all that stuff. And now I need to learn lighting and color and you know, shadows. If you want to draw covers and good girl art, you got to get that knowledge in your head. Practice, practice, practice. If you want to draw comics, look at the way guys draw pages, Jim Lee's pages and George Jimenez. Just look at his pages and figure out the dynamic energy that they have. Tom McFarlane's energy and study. There's no way around it.
0: And then finally I'd like to give you an opportunity to promote yourself. Do you have a Facebook page, Twitter, website, Instagram, Mojo that's coming out or anything um, yeah. else that you could talk about Conwise or anything that people should be looking out for, or where can people find when a book is going to drop of yours?
1: That's a little tougher. I'm very bad with announcing. My biggest suggestion is to follow me on social media. I update my Instagram and Facebook on a religious basis. So I definitely post everything there. But if you want more VIP stuff, go to my website. My website is ebasmojo.com, ebasmojo.com, e-b-a-s-mojo, dot ocom And everything, that I have for sale goes there first. So if you subscribe, I have a free mailer. You can hit the free mailer subscription. We send out VIP information behind the scenes, exclusive first dibs on everything. And it's free. You just open your email and you get the latest announcements. If I draw like a nice piece that I did on the side for fun, before it hits Facebook, before it hits the social media, my mailer list finds out before anybody else. So definitely subscribe evasmojo.com. And I have a monthly art raffle. If you want to get free prints, I do a monthly print for $30 a month. You can join my Platinum member subscriptions and you get free shipping on all orders and you get to be in the VIP section. It gives you discounted things. And I do a monthly art raffle all for only $30. You get a chance to win an original art that I do on a monthly basis for only $30 and you get a free monthly print even if you don't win. And it's the Platinum tab on my website. It's right on the homepage in the up a ride, become a platinum member at ebasmoder.com. It's a lot of fun. Or eBay is a huge place to get all my covers. If you just Google ebass E-B-A-S, on eBay, on the search engine, all of my issues are there. There's the easiest, fastest way to get my product. Unfortunately, it's very expensive. To find anything under $30 is very rare. They're very expensive. A lot of my books go for usually $100 to $200 on average. Again, my social media, you just type in my name and Facebook and That's where you'll find my Instagram is also my name, Eric Basaldua and that's where you want to go to get all of my latest stuff. My Mojo issues I think my next one will be launched on a Kickstarter. I'm working with Don Mattigue and Dave Finch. We're going to do some jam pieces on some Mojo covers for my issue 7. I believe I'm going to do it as a Kickstarter so if you subscribe to my mailer you will definitely get all the updates and you won't miss a thing and that'll be for my issue 7. Mojo is an art book. It's in the form of a comic and it's just page to page just art. It's an art gallery but in a comic book form. So instead of buying one $60 book, you can buy a $20 mojo book. You get it graded. Everyone gets some CGC. You can get a remarked. And I got six issues now. Each one of them has three or four variants. Other people have done exclusives with my mojo and have their own versions of the book as well. And if you want just a sample of my art, buy a $20 mojo book. And it's got my nudes, my topless. It's got everything in there. Well, thank you
0: so much for being on. Obviously, for me, as a huge fan, this has been anything but a pleasure, and this has been something that I have wanted to do ever since I first saw my first cover with you. And as always, to everybody, you know, I appreciate everybody listening. We can be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher Radio. You can follow me on Twitter, at comics. Check out my website, PopAnimeComics.com. Check out my Facebook page, Pop Anime comics. And until next week, everybody, have a wonderful week.